want to, before we get into the scripture, before we get into um, the, the, sherm, the sermon, the heart of the sermon, I, I want to read a story uh, real quick that, that goes along with the sermon. But but I, I felt this uh, this morning, this really sets the stage of the kind of what we're going to talk about. So just for a moment, let me tell you uh, the story of a man, of a preacher named Hugh Latimer. Okay, Hugh Latimer uh, was a preacher many, many, many years ago. And uh, he once preached before uh, King Henry VIII, um, which if you know history pretty decently, you know King Henry VIII was not a fabulous person to spend time around. Um, shuffled through wives and had people killed quite, you know, consistently. Um, not a person to be known to have a lot of patience, uh, to have a lot of compassion. Um, but uh, Hugh Latimer went and was preached, uh, preaching for him uh, one morning. And King Henry was very, was really displeased um, by which the boldness that uh, Hugh Latimer brought the sermon. And he ordered Latimer to preach again the following Sunday and apologize uh, for the offense that he had given. So that next Sunday, after reading his text, uh, rather, uh, Hugh, he began his sermon. He said, Hugh Latimer, speaking to himself, he says, Dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease, but then consider well, Hugh, dost thou not know from whence thou comest, upon whose message thou art sent, even by the great and mighty God, who is all-present, and who beholdest all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell, Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. He then preached the same sermon he preached the preceding Sunday, but with considerable more passion and energy, more and even greater boldness. Uh, The topic of our sermon this morning, as we are still in the book of Acts, is boldness and trials. Amen. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. Um, And this is a continuation of the story that we've been reading in Scripture of Paul as he makes his last journey to Jerusalem and the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Jewish people take something great against him as he goes into the the temple to worship. And he's taken into custody. He's going through these trials. And that's where we pick up with this Scripture uh, with with Paul going before the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So let's read here in Acts chapter 23, verses 1 through 9. Um, And it reads like this. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Concerning the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confessed both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit 
or an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. We speak about boldness and trials. Boldness and trials. Let me very quickly just make this clarification. What we often think of boldness, we sometimes think of it in a negative capacity. That people are too bold. And no doubt there are people in the world that are too bold. But Scripture, in a multitude of places, instructs us, guides us, encourages us to be bold. And so today as we preach, I'm not specifically preaching about the boldness that we see in the world, but the boldness that God commands us to walk in. So whatever preconceived notion you have of boldness, I ask that you just remove it this morning so that we can go to and look to Scripture, look at Paul's example um, and other examples in Scripture of what boldness in a Christian life looks like so that that can be the boldness that we walk in ourselves. Not the boldness of man, but the the boldness of God. All right? But with boldness, we should know, as we look at Paul's life, that he embraces boldness and so should we be embracing Boldness. Blessing. To embrace boldness, we must know where it comes from first, right? And the and the boldness that we see in our society, on, on media, many times, is a boldness that is based upon and rooted within somebody's gifts and their abilities. They are bold because they feel like they have a right to be bold. Um, it comes from a place of what they have done, of who they are, of what they are capable of, and they have boldness from that. But as a Christian, our boldness does not come from our abilities or our gifts. Our boldness does not come from what I have done. It does not come from the victories that I have won and the things that I have accomplished. Quite the contrary. Our boldness should come and should only come from Christ and Christ alone. Our boldness is from as Christians comes from our faith in Christ. And we can see that here in the life of Paul. He reads in this first few, three verses of this chapter. It says, Then Paul, looking earnestly... At the council, he's not looking sheepishly. He's not looking downtrodden. He's not looking cowed. He's not looking upset. He looks earnestly at the council. said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Right? He says, I have done what I need to do. I have a relationship with God Almighty. We are connected. We are close. I am His man and He is my God. We are, we are together intertwined. He has a confidence and a boldness because of his relationship to God. He doesn't go here and begin spouting off all that he has done. He doesn't go here and begin spouting off that I am a Roman by birth, or I am a Pharisee, or I'm this or I'm that. He says, first thing he says is I have a connection to God that I have been living in and thriving in until this day. And even when the high priest Ananias commanded them to have him struck, he goes and says... He takes offense to that, not because of what was done to him, but because Ananias, not following the commandment of the law himself. His connection, his boldness came from his connection to God and his connection to the Word. Right? That's where his boldness came from. Not in his abilities, which Paul said in another place. He said, if any of us have reason to boast, it's me. I mean, look at what I did before I converted. Look what I've done since I have 
convert it. He says, if anybody has a right to boast, it's me. Paul could have went on a long tangent of all that he had done in his life. But the first thing he recalls, the first thing he points to when he is faced with the trial of a physical, actual trial, he points to his connection to God as reason for him to be able to boldly stand there, look them in the eye with all confidence and boldness, knowing that I have a connection to God Almighty. Paul wasn't bold because of who he was but because of his relationship with Christ. Amen. Why should Christians be bold? Because of our intimate closeness to the divine creator of heaven and earth. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is, 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 a, is a beautiful chapter of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole chapter for us this morning, but I encourage you to do that in your own time. But a few verses that stick out to me, this 5th and 6th verse and the 12th verse, and it reads like this, it says, is, not, is it not that we are confident in ourselves? This is Paul speaking to the church about him and some of the other ministers, the work that they were doing and, and what God was doing through them. It says it is not that we are confident in, our, confident in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our competence is from God. He has made us confident to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit produces life. That's verse 5 and 6. He spends the next five or six verses talking about the glory of God that we have seen from the time of Moses and how God has expounded it and grown it and matured it and evolved it to the place that it is today through Christ Jesus. And he says, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness. In having such a hope. A hope in what? A hope in Christ. Amen. In having that hope in Christ, we have great boldness. We should have great boldness. We need to embrace the idea of being bold. Now understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying every time you walk out this door, you say the first thing that comes to your mind. That is not boldness. That is ignorance and arrogance. That is not boldness. I'm not saying to go and give somebody what you, the, a piece of your mind every time you see somebody that's doing something you don't like. That is not boldness. That is not boldness. It is almost sinful in nature to do that because that is offensive to people. Boldness is speaking truth in the face of untruth. Boldness is speaking scripture in the face of sinful nature. Boldness is pointing to the divine when the world points to the temporal and the fleshly nature of ourselves. That is boldness. Man, not boldness that is based within myself, but boldness that is based within Christ. Amen. I love the story of Joseph. Come here, Gilbert. Give me your coat. The story of Joseph. Joseph was the least son before his Benjamin came along. Um, and, and Joseph was his daddy's favorite, right? Because of, of the wife that he came And uh, Joseph had a boldness that almost probably pushed towards more arrogance at times. But Joseph's boldness came from a certain place, right? There was something that his other brothers didn't have that Joseph did have, right? You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. The Bible says that Jacob, later known as Israel, gave Joseph a coat, depending on trans how you understand the Hebrew and everything, a coat of many colors or a coat with long sleeves, right? So he put this coat upon his son. And Joseph walked with a boldness and a confidence because of what his father had adorned him with. Not because of who he was, but because of what his father had adorned him with. And we as Christians can walk in boldness, not because of who we are, but what our Heavenly Father has adorned us with. 
we are not adorned with our own righteousness, but with the righteousness of the Heavenly Father. Right? So we can walk in boldness because of what God has placed upon us. Amen? Amen. Sit down. We need to understand what we are adorned with so that we can walk boldly in that nature. The greatest person alive with all their great and mighty righteous deeds and actions cannot walk as boldly as somebody who knows their relationship with Christ Jesus and walks boldly and confidently in that. Because if you're basing your boldness, you're basing on your actions, how you live and thrive and move and do the work of God or whatever it may be, upon what you've done, there will come a season when you've not done very much. There will come a season when you fail. There will come a season when you fall short. And that boldness will shrivel, shrivel and just fade away because what are you bold about anyway now? But if you place your boldness in your relationship with Christ Jesus, and that boldness has a foundation that can be, you can stand upon that will never shake or never waver. Amen. I, we need to embrace boldness. Not arrogance. Not cockiness. Not ignorance. Not sinfulness. But biblical boldness. Yeah, in the face of the sinful world. We live in a biblical boldness. But we also must be enduring throughout the trials, right? Paul was no stranger to trials. I mean, that's something that just became second nature to him. This wasn't the first trial before the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin court that he had stood in. This wasn't the first time he was threatened with prison or death. This wasn't the first time that he had been scorned were mocked, were scolded for what he had done in the name of Christ. This wasn't the first hardship he'd went through. When we think of Paul, many of us think of the scripture where he says, I have a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan that I, I deal with daily. And I pray for three seasons that Christ would remove it, yet it still remains. Right? Know that he will give me what I need to persevere and to endure through this. He went through trials. And yet, as he went through them, he did, as he, we see in this scripture, he did it with great boldness. And while we should be excited by Paul's approach to trials and enduring through them with great boldness, we should not be surprised by it because of the life that Paul lived. Because of how he lived with his relationship with Christ. We see that he lived with great prayer. In 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. And I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. We see that he was a man that understood that prayer was necessary to endure the trials. You see, boldness is in the moment when you face it. It gives you the strength to to face it. But that strength, that boldness, comes from a place of prayer. It comes from a place of communicating with God from whom our boldness comes from. From being interacting with Him. From being connected with Him through prayer, through supplication, through praise, through worship, through honor and glorifying Him, through the words that we speak to Him. Our boldness 
comes from that place. Our boldness also comes from a place of Scripture, of knowing the Word of God, of being deep into it. Oftentimes we have a surface level of Scripture. We know a few verses that we can pull out of of Scripture that, that make us feel good or that make us feel confident. But the understanding of Scripture is deeper than that. Knowing Scripture is more than just knowing a few verses. It's more than just quoting a few things that we learned in Sunday school. It's more than just knowing the stories that we are taught in picture books and things. It is understanding the depths of the Word of God. How do we endure through trials? We gain boldness from our understanding and confidence in Scripture. Knowing it, as, as affirming it, as the Word of God, as divine, as sanctified, as holy, as given by Him throughout the generations. As Paul says in Timothy, he says it is the breath of God. We must have an intimate relationship with Scripture to endure through the trials and to have the boldness that comes from God, knowing Him, that comes from knowing His Word and knowing His Scriptures. We endure through trials also by connecting and having a community of believers that surround us. Amen. And I understand we live in times where things are busy, where we're going and going and going. And there's always something to do, some place to be, something on the list that to be checked off that we've been trying to do and we just can't get time to do it. However, to endure and to have boldness in Christ Jesus, we need to be impactfully connected to a body of believers. We need to be ingrained within people that we can look to for guidance, for comfort, to be assured of things when we're going through difficult times. We have to have that community. Community does not come from being by yourself. And listen, I post the podcast, but community doesn't come from listening to a podcast. And community doesn't come from being on uh, messaging on Facebook. That's not community. Community is being with God's people, doing the work of God, and honoring Him and praising Him for what He has done for us. Amen. Right? It's easy to be in one mind and one accord when you're at the house by yourself. But when we come together and we're in one mind and one accord, God is glorified. God is honored. People are compelled and convicted and they are saved. But we have to be part of a community and a body of believers impacting us ourselves and impacting others in the world around us if we are to endure through trials. Endure through the trials. Now, listen. Trials. I would, I would gather to bet that majority of us in here have either just come out of a trial, are currently going through a trial, or will be in a trial by the time we meet next Sunday. That's just how life goes. It's just the reality of the world that we live in is that trials abound. Scripture tells us one place, kind of going with that. Is that God's grace much more abounds? The trials abound. The trials are ever present. And we don't always understand the meaning or the purpose behind the trial. And we just try to endure through it. We try to get through it. We try to have boldness in it. But this is, this is what we need to understand. Is that trials are a place where growth happens. Trials provide a place for God to do great work. Trials provide an opportunity for us to honor and glorify God in the face of what oftentimes would make us quail and make us just be overcome with fear and doubt and negativity. Trials are an opportunity for God's glory to be shown to the world around us. 
and 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 this morning, Gil does such a great job teaching through Matthew chapter 14. And uh, there's so many wonderful scriptures in there. It really breaks down into three major parts. And each one within and of itself is a, is a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful story of God working, of God doing different things, uh, of God's plan. And, but we oftentimes, and myself included, we kind of remove each portion of that scripture and kind of look at it isolated in fashion and form and, and say, well, this is what this is and it's wonderful and it's awesome. Um, but let me give you a brief lowdown on Matthew chapter 14. Um, Matthew chapter 14 starts by John the Baptist being beheaded. Um, and for those that, that may not understand, John the Baptist was a cousin um, to Jesus. Uh, they were close. If, if not in, in, in close in age, within a few months of each other, um, they knew each other. Uh, no doubt they'd seen each other. Um, and then Jesus, the first thing he really does to begin his ministry, he goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. Right? John was the forerunner, is what Scripture tells us, to lay the, lay the foundation, the groundwork for the ministry that, that Christ would be doing. Um, so Christ, no doubt, had a high esteem for John. Great love for John for the work that he was doing. Um, and then he was beheaded. And now any one of us that understands loss understands that that had to be a, a great sorrow for, for Christ. There had to be great grief there during that season, great pain when he was going through that. Yet we understand through Scripture as it goes to the flow, it says that John was beheaded. They come and tell Jesus that he was beheaded. They bury him. And it says Jesus goes to be alone, but he's followed by a multitude and his disciples. And it's in that Scripture that he goes and he... Feeds 5,000, right? That in, that, um, in that time of emotional trial and a hardship, what he was facing that time, he goes and he serves people and does what many of us consider one of the greatest miracles that Christ has ever, ever done in this life. Then he goes, after he does that, and the Bible says he goes to a mountain to be alone. He's trying to find time to find comfort, to get through the trial, to get through the hardship, to get through the pain, because he's enduring it right now. Right? He's going through it right there in that season. He's trying to endure through it. And then he sees his disciples down on the Sea of Galilee with a great storm that's come up about to die. And he goes and he walks up on the water. Once again, you ask people about Jesus. Walking on water is probably one of the first things you think about him. Right? These are two things that happen in the same chapter that many of us go to as defining moments in the ministry of Christ. Yet he does it while he's going through a trial. Not when everything was good. Not when everything was great. Not when he felt like being bold. Not when he felt like doing miracles. Not when he felt like going to church. Felt like doing what he was supposed to. Felt like serving people. He did great things in the midst of trial. While he was enduring it. Because while you're enduring the trial, God can and will do great things. Ma'am. While we are enduring the trial. We also need to understand that there's everyday boldness. Here's the thing about boldness in trials. It shouldn't be something that we only exhibit in the direst of situations when things are at their worst. There shouldn't be something that we only practice when it's life or death. I know growing up, and, and maybe some of you all, I was raised in church and you know, end times and when things get bad, it comes up all the time. When I was growing up, and I'd oftentimes think, you know, people say, well, what are you going to do when they come and ask you to maybe reject your faith or 
to spurn Christ? And will you be able to say, Tom, we, that's what we think of boldness. That we'll be bold in that moment. That's a very limited view of biblical boldness. That happens, those kind of situations happen maybe once or twice in a lifetime. That you face such of a dire situation that you have to be bold in. The reality is, we need to be bold in our everyday actions. Not just be like, well, I'm going to be bold when it really counts. I'm going to be bold when it gets hard. I'm going to be bold when things really turn bad and the world goes all up in flames. I'll be bold then. We need to be bold, biblically bold, as a Christian and a faith and a person walking in faith today and every day. Do it in practical and meaningful and impactful ways. Not just life or death situations, but everyday situations. We need to have the boldness to speak Christ into the darkness that surrounds us. Amen. In our workplace, in our homes, at the store. In our interactions with families that we love, we need to be able to speak Christ into the darkness. Be bold in that way. We need to be so bold as to go and to make connections and build relationships with those that are seen as unsavory, unwanted, undesirable by the world, and the sad truth, sometimes even by the church. We should be bold in who we talk to, bold in who we interact with, bold in who we present the gospel to. We should be bold in those everyday actions. We should be bold in how we praise and worship the name of the Lord. We should glorify Him with a boldness that says He's done something for me. And even if it's not been recently, I know He's able and I know He's capable. So I will boldly proclaim the name of Christ. Everyday boldness is what the church needs. The church doesn't need a bunch of people that are ready to say, Hey, when the world catches on fire, we're going to run off and join a commune. It needs people who are saying, When I'm in the grocery store, I'll talk about Jesus. When I'm at the store, I'll talk about Jesus. When I see something that God has done, I'll raise my hand and praise His name. It's that kind of boldness that will see people be saved. They'll never see you deny or proclaim Christ when the end of the world comes. It won't matter at that point to them. But they will see you boldly being a Christian in the day-to-day walk that you live. Everyday boldness is biblical boldness. Boldness when other people don't see it. Boldness when you don't get re- when you don't get rewarded for it or you don't get praised for it. Boldness when it doesn't matter to anybody else but you and that other person in God. That's the kind of boldness yeah, that we are called to have. That's the biblical boldness that we are called to walk in. Everyday boldness. Everyday boldness. The reality is. If you can't be bold in the everyday, you you won't be bold in those big moments. If you can't be bold when it's easy, you're not going to be bold when it's hard. We need to be bold in the everyday walk with Christ. Paul faced this. But guess what? Paul was bold whenever he wells in the he's blinded. And he's anointed and, and the scales fall off. It was bold that he walked out and he began to talk to people that he had all, he had just persecuted not too long ago and told them about Christ. It was bold for Paul to go to Jerusalem even though he knew there was a lot of people there that didn't like him and talk to the people that wanted to know Christ. 
It was bold of him to travel into other parts of the world that did not readily accept Judaism, let alone this new thing, Christianity. That was the everyday boldness that prepared him for this kind of boldness. We need to be bold in the everyday. Once again, boldness isn't going out and just shouting scripture at the top of your lungs. Boldness isn't usually posting something kind of spicy on Facebook. That's not boldness. Boldness is in the interactions that we have with the world, with our families, in our church, living and acting boldly. Do we live boldly? Do we walk in biblical boldness? Proverbs 28.1 is... is a scripture that we should take note of. A scripture that we should recognize. Maybe, no doubt, even a scripture that we should memorize and commit to heart. The Proverbs 28.1 says this. It says, it says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. There, there's nothing strong about them. It doesn't take anything for them to give up on what they've committed to. To throw down their priorities. To shift and to change. Scripture talks about trees that aren't rooted. How they just easily are tipped. But those that are planted by the water, they're unmoved. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Bold as a lion. The truth of the matter is this. Many of us in our churches, not just here, but globally, will find any reason to back down, to not show up, to not live boldly, to not raise a hand, to not praise Him, to not say the Word, to not speak His name, to not proclaim who who He is, to not testify of what He has done. To, to not go to that person, to not do what we've been called to do, to not do what God has asked us to do, not follow His commandments. We have find any reason to flee. But God needs those that are bold to stand and to do what He has called us to do. To live boldly. To live boldly. Where you're at right now, you can be bold. Amen. You don't have to have some degree to be bold. You don't have to have some great wisdom or knowledge to be bold. You don't have to have all kinds of understanding of Scripture to be bold. You don't have to be walking in the faith for years and years and years to be bold. You just have to have a relationship with Christ to be bold. To be bold. We should seek to be bold in the midst of trials. Amen. What you may not recognize as we close. Every time I preach a sermon, you respond. You may not verbally respond, but you respond. Every time you hear Scripture, it's read. Every time you hear testimony, it's given. Every time you come to church, 
you respond in some way, fashion, or form. The response can look many different ways. The response to be, this really doesn't matter to me, pertain to me, I'm going to do what I've been doing. And you walk out the door unchanged. It's a response. Your response could be, I like what you said, and I think there's some validity to it, but I really don't know what to do about it. And you just go and you leave unchanged. And with some questions, but, but unchanged. That's a response. Or maybe your heart is pricked. Your soul is convicted. The Holy Spirit communicates to you. That's you. That's whatever it may be at that time, but this morning, that's you that's not living boldly in the way and the fashion that God so desires for you to. And you hear the call, you hear the challenge, and you say, I will make a change. And maybe you pray at your, your seat or you come to the altar and pray and, and you leave affected and changed, accepting the challenge that has been laid out for you. And that too is a response. But we must respond. Either consciously or subconsciously, we will respond. But what is your response today to the Word of God? How will you respond to the challenge to live boldly? How will it affect you and impact you? Will it change you? But how do you choose to respond? The altar is open.